You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. And as we get closer and closer to the 2022 NFL draft, I thought we would uh, talk to one of our favorite NFL draft analysts today, as we uh, look at prospects for the Giants, we're going to be talking with uh, Emery Hunt of Football Game Plan and CBS. Em, thank you very, very much for uh, hopping on the show. As always, Ed, I appreciate you bringing me on. Love to talk ball with Giants Nation. And uh, you're you're kind of coming up for air these days. Just published your uh, Football Game Plan 2022 NFL Draft Guide. And and M, I, I have to give it to you. Uh, I think it was 1,035 pages, a thousand draft prospects. I mean, that's insanity. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I listen. The first year I published a, an official draft guide. Uh, the first year was about 653 players, right? Or close to it. Then the next year, which was last year, was about 580-something because a lot of guys went back to school. And I already knew this year was going to be an insane number, right? But I thought, and it's funny because I, I set up the template before the season started, you know, after the, after the draft was over, I was like, okay, over 800 prospects. But as I'm starting to build it and, you know, they added the new All-Star game, the HBCU Legacy Bowl, so that was an additional 100 prospects. And as I'm going through the different all-star games and guys that have declared and guys who ran out of eligibility, I'm like, oh, snap, this thing going to be over a thousand. <laughs> and and so I'm just in at the point where you got to when you get to the point where you're like, all right, it's going to be over a thousand. By that time, you're motivated to, to not stop because we know how it, how it goes when you're when you're doing something and you, you know, you, it's, it's a daily grind. You're thinking, all right. I'm kind of tired and you're on your like 89th offensive tackle. You think like, should I just stop at 89 or should I just get a nice round number or something like that? <laughs> All right, let me, let me do one more. Well, and that's how we end up with going over a thousand. But I'll tell you what though, that last position, which was the safeties, I was like, man, <laughs> I'm at nine, nine eighty eight. Do I stop or do I keep going? So, so should we trust any of your safety grades Em? <laughs> yes, yes, that's that's what I was gonna get at. Like you should trust them because once I got to the end, I was like, all right, I'm gonna break it down into sections. I'm gonna focus hard because here's how I was doing that. It was 12 hour days. I'll get up at 5 a.m. 
I'll start at 5.30. I'll take a break at noon to about maybe 2. So I'll do lunch, go work out, pick back up about 2.30, 2.45, and go until 7.30. So I was putting together those that amount of time each and every day, seven days a week until I got done. But that last group, the safeties, I was doing two hours here, go do it, go get a break. Two hours here, go get a break. And so I broke it up. It took me longer to do those last 12 than it did the rest of the book. <laughs> you were running out of gas, Em. <laughs> uh, I don't blame you. I got I to gotta tell you, you know, I've done, and I don't do them in the depth that you do. I do prospects really so that, so that I know the names, so that I have a general impression of guys, so that I know, you know, enough about guys that, that we can talk intelligently about, about them. And I mean, I've probably done 115, 120 at this point. And I'm like, do I really have to do more? (laughs) Do I really have to do more? It's like, yeah, I have to do more because there's still names that come up, you know, with, with guys that I haven't studied in any depth yet, but I, I should just ask you when I, when I run across those guys, I'll just ask you, you know, you're, 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 I, I've got your DM. I'll just ask you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, so one of the things that you and I always talk about is the fact that when you do this draft guide, when you study draft prox- prospects, one of the things that I always respect is the fact that that you don't do groupthink, that you come to your own conclusions, that you publish your own opinions, you stand on on what you believe and what you don't believe. And you know, back in the day, I remember you and I, I remember you banging the table for Dwayne Haskins, which you were ultimately wrong about. But on the flip side, I remember you banging the table and telling me that Lamar Jackson was the best quarterback in the class, <laughs> you know, and uh, I mean, the point of that all is I respect the fact that you that you stand on your own two feet. And, and kind of what I wanted to do today is go through some of the prospects. I went through your guide over the weekend, kind of want to talk about some of the areas where your opinion doesn't necessarily go with the group think. Are you uh, you up for that? Absolutely. And I also said that year with Dwayne Haskins that Daniel Jones wasn't the guy. And so it can go either way in the, sometimes in the same class. Yeah, it's it's always interesting. And, you know, when it when it comes to quarterbacks and that's where we're going to start. And even though I don't think the Giants are in the quarterback market, when it comes to quarterback, it, it's it's amazing how bad the NFL is when it comes to evaluating and developing for that matter, developing quarterbacks. So, I mean, I don't think there's any exact science to, uh, to figuring it out, but, but it's crazy. What's the percentage of these guys that actually hits? It's probably below 50% when you pick these guys in the first round. Right. And you have to really, you know, I guess it does tie into situations to be honest. Um, because if you think about going, let's say, let's use a Dwayne Haskins and or uh, who else was in that college? Um, Daniel Jones, for instance. If Haskins goes to a situation where one, the QB coach and, a, and the head coach wanted him, uh, maybe his situation is different. And we know Haskins was a the traditional quote unquote pocket passer. If Daniel Jones goes to a situation 
let's say where a coach wants him to utilize his athleticism more in, in an attempt to help slow the game down for him or to really accentuate what he can do well, then maybe his story is different. Or, or maybe so, to, or maybe to a situation where he's not on his third head coach and fourth offensive coordinator in four years. A lot of times he has a hand in that too. I mean, to be honest, bad quarterbacks tend to get guys fired. So, you know, and, and, and to be honest, you know, it's, it's a lot of his issue is the turnovers. And that's something that no OC or no head coach can, can really, you can't blame my OC or head coach. If you control the ball and you turn the ball over now scheme wise. Yeah. That's, that's something you could definitely blame coach OC, but him turn the ball over. You know, that's, that's a Daniel Jones problem. All right. And I don't want to get sidetracked on a, a Daniel Jones debate. I do kind of want to go through, as I said, some of what's in your draft guide. Um, and I want to talk about quarterback first. And the, I looked at this and I said, is this a misprint? Did he, did he mean for this to happen? Is, is he serious that Kenny Pickett is QB 13 on his list here? I mean, QB 13 for the guy that might be the first quarterback selected him. You, you have to explain this one to me. Well, here's what's, what's fascinating about the whole draft uh, complex. You know, if you only talk about five quarterbacks for six months, then seeing Kenny Pickett at QB 13 will be shocking, right? Because I didn't know there was that many quarterbacks. Well, yeah, because we spent the whole time talking about the same five all year long. But when you involve an entire class and you're watching multiple quarterbacks, you're seeing guys that do things a little bit better than Kenny Pickett. And I've seen Kenny Pickett play live twice. I've gone to both games against North Carolina. They usually fall on that Thursday night. So I'm able to get out the pit on a Thursday night, then stack my day on a Friday, then call a game on a Saturday. So I've seen Pickett before this year. So to me, this year was the anomaly and not the trend. And the things that changed for him this year was the, the passing game and the receiving core. So it's a lot of short passes. Yeah, he'll take a timely shot deep down the field, but a lot of things he was doing um, was stuff he was doing prior. There's just better receivers to make things happen. Prior to that, their offense still had really good receivers. They had really good running backs, um, but he was still playing the same game. So nothing really changed from a skill set for Pickett from my perspective. And when you add in a lot of quarterbacks that you're grading, his grade just consistently, you know, it pushes him down the list. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I still think it's possible that that uh, that Kenny Pickett goes to Carolina at six. And it's you talked about situations. And to be honest, I feel bad for any quarterback that goes to Carolina, whether it's Pickett or Malik Willis, Willis or or whoever it might be, considering that you're in a situation with. Matt Rule probably in his last year as head coach and with Ben McAdoo, probably if, if, uh, if Rule goes, then McAdoo is one and done as, as offensive coordinator. And, and I'm not crazy about McAdoo as offensive coordinator anyway. So I don't know about you, but I don't, I wouldn't feel good about, uh, about landing in Carolina if I was a quarterback this year. Absolutely not. Think about it. This is the same group that told us, they try to tell us 
that Sam Darnold was better than Teddy Bridgewater when Sam Darnold proved to be worse than what Bridgewater was, not only in Carolina, but also in Denver. So you're right. There's no way I'm trusting whoever lands in Carolina with, you know, the development of any one of these quarterbacks. I almost feel bad for whoever gets taken. I would rather them go get a veteran as opposed to to getting a rookie and putting him in that situation. Although they do have so much talent on both sides of the ball, they need a veteran. They needed a Marcus Mariota. You know, you know, they don't need someone young that's going to, I don't want to say get ruined, but someone that's going to, you know, fall victim to a bad situation in terms of coaching. All right. Hey, what's interesting. Another thing that's interesting when I look at your quarterback rankings is there's a guy who Mark Schofield started hammering me about when we were at the combine a few weeks ago. And I know from looking at his own draft guide that, that Matt Waldman of the rookie scouting portfolio is also big on this guy. And I want to, and I'm talking about Skylar Thompson and I found it interesting because you also have him rated highly. I think you have him as your number three quarterback. And he's a guy who is probably in the end a sixth or seventh round draft pick. Just tell me you know, quickly, if you can, you know, what it is that makes you think that Skylar Thompson can outperform that draft stock. He moves the football. Every time he was in the game with Kansas State, the offense is just moving. You know, they're converting first downs. They're getting inside the red zone. They're scoring the ball. And, and so when you're able to stay productive that way, it's hard to deny how good you are. The flip side of that, which is why I didn't mention it in, in this, you know, parts of what I'm talking about, why he's so good, he has to be out there. Availability is key. He, you know, he has had his injury issues at Kansas State. I thought he would have came out last year because he got hurt, uh, but he just decided to come back and got hurt again, and, and, you know, and so it's like, he missed a few games, but it's like, man, we can't keep depending on you to be out there for full 16, 17 games if you're going to miss some time, and that's his thing. He has to be, he has to stay healthy. When he's on the field, he reminds me a lot of Derek Carr. Interesting, interesting, and let's talk about, let's talk about running back, and, and I'm interested in your thoughts on Isaiah Spiller for the simple reason that that I keep hearing, you know, this is this is a big back. I think he's 225 pounds. I keep hearing that that maybe he's taking a tumble when it comes to draft stock, that maybe he's not thought of as highly as he was maybe, you know, a few months ago. And I'm just curious why you think that might be and, and what you think of, of Spiller. You know, it's interesting. We have this thing that I call prospect fatigue. You see it with Kayvon Thibodeau. You're seeing it with Isaiah Spiller. Because if you remember, last year it was like, oh, Isaiah Spiller, clear-cut, number one running back. He's going to be the good one. That's the one you take in the first round. So people just got tired of talking about Isaiah Isaiah Spiller. Um, And then they just kind of sort of started to knock his game. But he's still a really good back. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's He's a taller back, but he has very good footwork. Uh, good body lean, good balance. And I, I just feel like he's a, a guy that can step in and play right away. If you're a team that needs a, a foundational back, I like to call these guys, Isaiah Spiller would be that guy. Let's say if you're Miami, I know they brought in Chase Edmonds, but Miami would be another situation for him. I compared this game to Jeremy Hill, 
who played with the Cincinnati Bengals and New England Patriots. So I could see Spiller being someone that you could lean on for 20 carries a game. Yeah, you know, let's, while we're on the subject of running backs, we know the situation with the Giants and there's trade rumors about Saquon Barkley. And, and I don't think that's something the Giants want to do is moving on from Saquon. I think you and I have talked about that before. But there is some talk about them at least drafting someone in the middle of the draft to be a backup kind of a running back. And what I keep hearing is they might be looking for someone who in particular impacts the passing game, maybe not just as a receiver, but a guy that can also handle some blocking skills, um, you know, can handle the, the pass protection. Can you think of a couple of players? I mean, there's one in particular who I like, which is Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame. But can you think of, of a couple of players you might like who, who can fill that, uh, that sort of role in the passing game? Yeah, Kyron Williams is definitely one. Uh, James Cook out of Georgia would be another one because of his ability as a receiver. Some even view him as a slot guy uh, at the next level. And, and Pierre Strong out of South Dakota State can impact the game as a kickoff returner, punt returner, but also as a receiver. He had over 550 receptions, I'm sorry, uh, yards in his career. Uh, but he's someone that has legit burner speed. He's one that doesn't need volume to, uh, to affect the game. And if you're talking not needing volume and doing the most with what you can get, that sounds like the perfect backup to someone like uh, Saquon Barkley. Interesting. And I'm, there you go. You're killing me because that's another guy that I really haven't looked at. And now I got more work to do. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll like Pierre Strong, man. I, I wanna, if you watch his game against Colorado State, he lit up the, the Rams. And that's, you know, they playing up in the FBS. And then his first carry against North Dakota State was like an 80-yard touchdown run. So mm -hmm. he, he's a really good back, man. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And uh, let's, yeah, let, let's move on a little bit because I think we could talk running backs for, for quite a while. I know, uh, I know, I know that's, uh, that's one of your favorite positions for, for some reason. <laughs> that's the <deep laughs> position on the football field. Right? What are you talking about? <laughs> of course. So, uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, that's, uh, that was, that's the position that, that Emery played way back in the old days when, when he was a player and could still move around a little bit. Oh, and back when it had two of these. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's an old. That's a long time ago. And then, then it then it seemed like uh, then it seemed like ages ago. Em, 
Bro, it really does, man. I, I look at some I look at some of these classic games that they show on TV and a game that happened in 97. I'm like, man, why does that look so vintage? But I feel like I still seen it live <laughs> yesterday. It's just so weird to to really see yourself getting old. Hey, let's uh, so yeah, we're we're all getting old, and we're all getting old. Believe me, I I feel it these days in my back and my neck and my and ev- everywhere. Forget it. Let's 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 move on and talk about football. <laughs> uh, tight ends, tight ends. Um, going through your guide again, you're maybe not as high on a couple of guys that I keep hearing at the top of the class or connected to the Giants. And uh, I guess the two guys that I'm looking at uh, on your list are Trey McBride, who so many people seem to look at as tight end one in this class. And you don't have him anywhere near that in your tight end rankings. And the other one is Jeremy Ruckert. Uh, I'm curious for your thoughts on, on those two guys. Yeah. McBride to me is a situation where, you know, he's a good player. um, But as you start to watch more, you're like, wow, this guy is a little bit better. Like, see, I have McBride as my number five H-back, and I think of the perfect H-back, and I'm thinking of someone like George Kittle. And in this class, I look at Greg Dulcich of UCLA is the George Kittle clone to me. So when you have someone that's like a Kittle, you know, and, and is a clone of a, of a Kittle, that, that just kind of elevates you down a little, pushes you down a little bit. And he's a little bit more athletic. He could run. Um, he's dangerous after the catch. And I think that because he tests out better athletically is why I have those guys a little bit higher than, um, than McBride. McBride is good. McBride is, he can catch, he can get open. Um, I like him more as an H back as opposed to an inline guy, uh, because I don't want to waste his talents blocking defensive ends. I want him to get out into a route and get ready to go. Uh, more so than let's say someone who I have as an inline guy, like a, you know, Cade Otten, you know, or someone mm-hmm. like that. And Jeremy Ruckert, I think people like the idea of Ruckert um, because of, you know, how the athleticism, but I just think Ruckert is probably more along the lines of a tight end two or a tight end three in an offense, as opposed to a go-to guy. Yeah. It's interesting because you keep reading, well, he'll be a better pro than he will be a college player. And and yet, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean he can ascend to be a tight end one or does that mean, you know, tight end two? I'm not exactly sure what that means in terms of ceiling for a guy like Rucker. Right. He's a downfield threat. I have him as a flex guy and he's someone that I feel like the Giants kind of have a bunch of on the roster. So it would be replicating the effort of getting more flex guys. Someone like McBride would make sense because he's a he's a different type of tight end than what they have. I feel like they already have a bunch of records already uh, in tow. All right. Hey, let's talk about wide receivers, Em. And, and before we get into specific guys, Giants are at five and at seven. To me, I mean, I know there's a need at wide receiver, but to me, five and seven is way too early for the New York Giants to be looking at wide receiver. You uh, you agree with me or disagree with me? I agree with you because I feel like the draft is about to be dumb as usual, and there's going to potentially be a Kayvon Thibodeau sitting there at five, and I would be highly upset if the Giants passed on 
a pass rusher for another passing option, you know, a receiving option. You know, I would I would be completely thrown away and blown away if they passed on point of attack player or even a corner for a receiver. You know, I was going to I wasn't really going to venture into this quite yet, but since we kind of started talking about five and seven, I, my, my feeling is if the giants don't trade out of their offensive tackle has to be one of the two picks. And depending on who else is there, I mean, I would love to see Thibodeau there. I would love to see sauce Gardner there. I think you can make an argument for Kyle Hamilton with one of those two picks. Um, just your thoughts on uh, on ideal targets for the Giants at five and seven. I think you nailed it. And, and I think when you're looking at it from that perspective, you also look at it, let's say, from a financial perspective, because that's quiet as kept two top 10 picks. So you have to factor in, OK, what salaries would we want to take on for a top 10 talent? And I think that that kind of steers the direction to, okay, we could pay a offensive lineman and a defensive lineman, those top 10 salaries. If they're that good, if they're top 10 talent, you know, they're going to garner that second contract you hope. And that's where you tend to want to overpay for those good players. And that I can see an O lineman D lineman cornerback is, is, is right there with, uh, you know, I don't not receiver, but I can understand overpaying or paying big bucks to a corner. You know, linebacker would be tough. You know, if you're thinking, let's say, okay, they need to get like a Devin Lloyd or they need to get a receiver. I feel like you can get value at those positions later. And the big question is Hamilton. Is Hamilton that elite difference maker that you're that you're seeking? On the back end, is he's that is he that mistake eraser eraser on the back end? Because if so, we know how valuable ball hawks are. And are you willing to pay that type player a, a top 10 type salary? And I think that also is going to be involved uh, in the decision on what they do at five and seven. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you talk about Hamilton, because. First of all, I'm one who I don't really want to hear about safety is not a position of value safety is for me this a passing league in the nfl safety is critical in the passing defense safety is critical in the run defense to me the the positional value argument for safety and i know i think it's kind of evolving in the nfl but i i would put safety for me is on one of the uh, is higher on the positional value scale than uh, than linebacker, than running back, than tight end, than, than a lot of positions. I don't know about you, but I just think it's increasingly important in today's NFL. For me, it's always been about can you score? Can you take the ball away? If you can do those two things, I value you really high. Um, and that may sound you know like a knock to O lineman, but. At the end of the day, give me all the touchdown makers, sackers, interceptors first, and then I worry about everything else later. Case in point, the Cincinnati Bengals. Right. Give me the – you've got the quarterback, you've got Jamar Chase, and you've got some impact defenders, and uh, but you've got some weakness on your offensive line there. So, yeah, so actually that's 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 a pretty good example. 
Yeah, and it's it's about just you know because at the end of the day, it's a it's an impact player league. Um, the Colts had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, and they were not in the playoffs. But I guess that's also the other argument for um, Giants sitting at five and seven, and there's there's a belief that they're going to look to trade down with at least one of those picks, especially if they can get a 2023 first round pick. The flip side of that is the argument that you just mentioned, the opportunity to get what they believe are two game-changing impact players who are two of the best five to seven guys in this draft class. Bro, that would be so hard for me as a GM. I can understand the Eagles trading one of their three first round picks, even though I would have been hesitant to give up three opportunities to get three of the top 32 players in the entire draft, but two of the top 10 players in the entire draft, there is no way any mystery box of next year will make me get out of the top 10. You would have to give up starter players for this year and picks but if I have a chance to get a cheap, dynamic player, and I say cheap in terms of contract, in the two of the top ten, like people die for the the number one pick, you know, or a top five pick, you got two in the top ten. I would be hard pressed to move out of that spot, giving the depth of this draft and an opportunity to take two guys that you know that your scouts can all agree on. We can all agree on the top ten talents, you know, as a, as a scouting group. And you can get two of those guys, man. It it would be lunacy to move out the top ten. Yeah, I, I I would say it's lunacy to move with both picks. I can see doing it with one, but uh, but it, it, it's an interesting debate. It's going to be interesting to see how Joe Shane handles that. And let's talk about uh, let's talk about offensive tackles. And you have uh, you have I think. You have Ikem Equinu, and I will never learn how to pronounce that young man's name. I don't think I'll ever learn. I'll just call him Icky and leave it at that. Uh, I th- you have Charles Cross as your second offensive tackle and Evan Neal as your third offensive tackle. There's so much disagreement. I almost wonder if we're, we wind up splitting hairs between those three guys. Just explain to me you know, why you rank them the way that you do and, and what you think of those three guys. Aquanu is someone that just blows off the tape in terms of his strength. His play strength is ridiculous. It almost looks like, you know, when you see those clips on Twitter where the oversized kid in Little League football, who's the same age as the, the regular size five-year-old, but he's built like a ninth grader and just blowing guys away. That's Aquanu on film at the Power Five school. And so his explosive power is ridiculous. I don't care how tall he is. Try him at tackle. At worst, you have a dynamic guard, but at best, you have an elite tackle. Cross, to me, has obviously the best pass pro in, in the entire class because of the experience in pass pro, you know, coming from Mississippi State where they throw the football 95 times a game. All he has is pass pro reps, but it doesn't mean he's an, a, a terrible run blocker. So he has a good bit of skill set on both ends of offense, and I think his technical skills is what makes him – uh, you know, really good. And Neil is someone that's a, a dominant player. A, you know, he's a powerful player. His footwork is a little bit off. Uh, that's why I had him third outside of, um, you know, Cross and also Iquano. But Neil is someone that's really good. He's probably the leanest 
337 pound dude I ever seen in my life. Yeah, I, I, I had a chance to listen to him speak at the combine and, and you, some guys, like I got a chance to talk to Daniel Fa'alele from Minnesota, you know, 384 pounds and, and looks every bit of it at six foot eight. A couple of years ago, had a chance to talk to Mackay Becton and, and, you know, it's 364 pounds, six, five or six, six. And I was just looking at him and I think, you know, my jaw was on the floor at how big the guy just looked. You, you look at Evan Neal and like you said, he's what, six, five, 337 pounds. And, yeah, and you'd, you'd swear he was 280. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> you know, I was like, that dude is not 337 pounds. I mean, because you look at most of those guys, if it's 330, they look like DJ Fluker and, you know, they got the, they got the, the they got the big belly and right. You know, everything's hanging out and the, and the jerseys don't fit and all of that <laughs> stuff. That, that, Which, that, that's not Evan Neal. That's not him for sure. And it tells you about his, his work ethic and his, uh, his body construction, because if he's able to be lean like that, and that shows you the trend that he's he's trending in. You know, he's getting leaner as he's getting into the pro game, which helps him sustain that success and that longevity that you want when you're taking someone like him in the top 10. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting debate. I'm really interested to see how those three guys come off the board. You uh, you with me that, that you think all three of them would be worth the top seven pick? I mean, obviously, you're not going to take all three if you're the Giants, but but that the Giants come out ahead no matter which one of those guys they end up with? Right. I feel like because of what you already have in Andrew Thomas, um, adding one of these guys would definitely, you know, help you solidify the book. And that way you can kind of have Parrot as a, you know, a swing player, a strong swing player, um, just help solidify the offensive line in that, in that manner. All right. Hey, I want to back up just a little bit. I want to ask you about wide receivers. I want to ask you about one guy in particular. And I know that it's a guy that, that you have in your draft guide, you have ranked fairly highly. And, you know, every year, or at least for the last few years, I go through these, all these mock drafts and I study the guys that I study. And, and I wind up with a couple of guys that would be day two or even day three sort of draft crush kind of guys. Mm-hmm. And last year, my guy was Quincy Roche. All right. And, you know, I think every time I did a mock draft, I was like, I was finding excuses, you know, to, to make, to either like, I, I had to force myself not to draft him every single week so that I wasn't talking about the same players, you know, but, but I actually, ended up feeling really good that, that he wound up with the giants and, and, and was fairly productive as a rookie. And I want to ask you, and I'll, I'll ask you about two players because they're two of my sort of mid round draft crushes, George Pickens wide receiver out of Georgia and Dylan Parham center guard out of Memphis. Am I crazy that I think that, that I think both of those two guys are going to be really good NFL players, or am I on to something here? You're definitely on to something. When we were talking about Pickett, Pickett to me, I remember seeing when the Eagles had the three first round picks and they were that third pick they were giving uh, the Eagles, Jane, Jamison Williams out of Alabama. I'm like, listen, you don't know how people are going to respond from an ACL injury. Everybody's not Adrian Peterson. 
you know, so you just got to hope and he that he can regain that four two blazing speed that he had. Um, so why not take those two defensive players or take three defensive players? And with your high pick in the second round or a top pick in the second round, no one's talking about George Pickens. This dude is a bona fide number one option. I was shocked that he measured in at 6'3", 199, or 200 pounds. Because he plays like he's 6'4", 225 in terms of he's just a big physical presence out there on the field. He has great athleticism. And he's someone that, that really lays out for the reception. And I just have always been a fan of his game. You know, if I can, I was just going to say, I keep looking at George Pickens and every time I watch George Pickens, I think this is what the giants paid Kenny Galladay to be. Right. So that that's like, you know, why not just bring in this guy? (laughs) Right. And, and, And the trip part is he's a better overall receiver from a route running from a, you know, from a, athleticism standpoint he is he is if he didn't get hurt he'd be talked about in the in the top 15 or you know in the top 20 hour where people were putting these wide receivers it wouldn't shock me to see him go in the first round you know um because this is someone that plays a pro game and he's excellent on both ends of offense he'll go out there and block you into the dirt uh same with parham you know parham is an athletic center he's smooth you know, he was a, a tight end, so he has – that tells you about his footwork, his athleticism, and the fact that he can play center. When you have an athletic center, uh, it opens up your entire playbook, especially the run game, because you can do so much creative things in the run game where your center can get out and about on pulls and, and traps, and it just helps the entire offense just go. So someone like that, I'm always – I'm big on guard center, guard play, and if you're getting someone that's athletic like that at center – Sign me up. Yeah, I I don't know if you got a chance to talk to Parham at the uh, at the combine, M. But just sitting in his uh, in his media session at the combine, I loved the kid's attitude. He's like, "Look, I don't care what position it is. I don't care what you ask me to do." He says, "I'm finding my way to the field somehow. You know, just 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 give me a chance. Tell me where to play." I just loved that attitude. And I mean, some guys will say things like that. They'll say, oh, yeah, I'll play special teams. Sure. And then, you know, and then they show up and they, they want nothing to do with special teams. But but I loved Parham's attitude. And I think the fact that what did he go from? He went from tight end to defensive end to to tackle to guard. And now he's he's transitioning to center. I think that shows a lot of of want to on on his part. Right. That shows you he's willing to do whatever it takes to get out there on the field. So he's actually living his words, which is rare, rare to see in uh, nowadays. It is. And I want to ask you about uh, really a couple of other um, defensive players. One in particular, Jordan Davis. Where are you on Davis? Chris Flum and I have an, have the have an argument sometimes about Davis as to whether he's a top 10 talent in this draft. And and I know he tested, you know, over the moon at the combine, but I just don't see it because I, I worry about, you know, Dexter Lawrence is a nice player, but I look at Jordan Davis and I think, isn't he pretty much just Dexter Lawrence? And, and, and to me, that's not top 10. So just your thoughts, your thoughts on that. that. That's a great name because that's who I compared him to 
when everyone asks because people ask about you know whether or not he could rush the passer and I'm like well you know he wasn't asked to do that at Georgia that doesn't mean he can't and it's, it's evident by his quickness and his ability that he he can be a pocket collapser like kind of like Dexter Lawrence is uh, but you're right there's no need for the Giants to duplicate efforts up there you already have a Jordan Davis in Dexter Lawrence um, and it if you if you're expecting him to do something that he wasn't asked to do at Georgia I can understand where let's say if you're Baltimore which Baltimore would be outside the top 10 um, to your point it would be wise to take a Jordan Davis because he gives you some of that ability as a gap occupier like I like I put uh, in the notes a uh, run fit extraordinaire yes mm-hmm. And, and what you're asking, but he's very defensive specific in terms of what you would want a la to your point, Dexter Lawrence, who wasn't a top 10 pick. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I love Dex. I just, I don't know if Dex is ever going to be what the giants hoped he would be. And I want to ask you about a position specifically. Um, and you mentioned it talking a little bit about top 10 guys. You mentioned it talking about Devin Lloyd, maybe, uh, you know, N'Kobe Dean, the, the inside linebacker guys. Um, I just, I don't see the Giants if they're sitting at five and seven and maybe even at 36, depending on how the board falls. I don't see them going linebacker. Just give me a couple of guys uh, that you think could fit the Giants, could fit a Wink Martindale type defense, guys that might be, you know, round three or, or day three kind of picks. I would, I would throw out one name that I think could be there day two. Um, DeMarco Jackson out of Appalachian state. When I was grading, it's funny how, when you grade one player, the other player from the other team pops up on film, I'm doing something on Max Williams or Max Mitchell. I'm sorry, from the university of Louisiana. And I'm like, yo, why is this, is my film, you know, wonky because it feels like this linebacker is operating three times speed. You know, he's faster than the film and it's just how he runs. I'm like, man, this dude is explosive in all directions. And then you go watch his workouts at the senior bowl. You're like, he really is this explosive as a talent. And I, I don't think people are talking enough about him. So that would be someone that is fast, aggressive and arrives in an angry mood. He would be someone that would definitely fit the mantra of a wink Martindale, uh, defender you also look at someone that no one's talking about i feel like in ellis brooks out of penn state this is a day three guy but man he plays the run extremely well he's aggressive downhill um and, and is someone that has the fluidity at the position that you want to see and, and two pie in the sky type picks that would be like the icing on the cake for the giants and because they pick so so high up um <laughs> you know it's tough for me to even figure out a way for them to get these guys. But man, if they could find a way to get Charlie Anderson out of Montana state, that dude is probably the closest thing we've seen to Brian Erlacher since Brian Erlacher, even Chad Muma out of Wyoming, another one that these are taller inside backers, but that can also play outside, but they can run like the wind. And to me, if, if you're looking for what wink would look at, at the inside linebacker position, can you run? Are you aggressive? And if you are, then you're a fit. That's why I brought up those specific names as guys that would be ideal fits. Interesting. And, and of course, you keep throwing names at me that I'm going to have to go study now. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I actually have looked at Muma and I, I, I love what I see. 
Uh, you know, I, and, uh, but I'm going to have to look at, I'm going to have to look at Jackson without question. So, uh, you know, as much fun, fun as it is talking to you, M, you're killing me because you're making more work for me. <laughs> you'll love, you'll love the Marco Jackson, man. And I think, you know, I think he's probably along the lines of a second round player. So he, Giants could probably surprise there, but I mean, it depends on, you know how it goes, man, with the draft, mm-hmm. there's going to be a run on whatever position in the first round, which will slide everybody else down into, you know, day two and parts of the, you know, the third round as well. Mm-hmm. Hey, M, I, I really, uh, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. Why don't you uh, let folks know um, how they can, how they can get your, their hands on your draft guide and, and uh, where they can follow your work if they don't do that already. Follow me on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. You'll see me on CBS Sports HQ during the draft, covering the draft picks is day one, day two, day three. We have a lot of fun there. Um, and you can order the draft guide, footballgameplan.com slash 2022 draft guide. Over a thousand players, the largest draft guide in draft guide history. No one else, not even people on the major outlets, have this many scouting reports. So the matter is, is someone that's going to get drafted, signed as an undrafted free agent, come through the process during the preseason or even the regular season, best believe we're going to have a scouting report on that player. Tell me the truth, Em. All the CFL and AFL scouts come to you and ask ask who these guys are. <laughs> hey, can't reveal can't reveal that, but I will. <laughs> but, I, but I will say this though: um, when you run your own business and you and you uh, you know you're in control of who sending out the draft guide. You do see who buys the draft guide. I put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I, I hear you. I hear you. There's, a, there's a lot of names in there. A lot of, uh, you know, when, when it comes time. I know you always say when it comes time for undrafted free agents and players you haven't heard of, uh, M's draft guide is definitely the, uh, the place to find the information that you're looking for. M, thank you very, very much for for spending some time. Giants fans, thank you as always for listening. Stay safe out there, take care of each other, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the phone? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.